take two men that happen to be cousins who share a common codependency on movies, put them in a room, and tell them to talk about anything film-related. The result? A corpulent cornucopia of cinematic scrutiny we call The Finleys on Film. So this smacks of the worst relationship ever, possibly. A film? Yeah. The, the relationship you and I are in right now, even through this distant technology, is dysfunctional, my friend. Now, you know, it's sort of like um, there are – have you ever seen the film Carnage? With, uh, it was like Jodie Foster, Christoph Waltz. I, I hate to say this. I've actually seen the stage play and the movie, yes. The stage play had the Gandolfini in it, right? Well, that was that was a Broadway. I didn't. I saw the I saw the downtown San Jose Players version. Okay, so that um, play, uh, I think it was called The Gods of Carnage as a play. It it it's just four people unraveling in a room, and I think that's kind of interesting um, because, the, because, as I was saying, it's just four people unraveling in a room. And a lot of people find that um, unattractive, that type of entertainment where it's just a dissembling of something and an unnerving of something. And not I, guess, an, I guess I don't have a problem with that point of view because it is, it's uncomfortable. It, like you're, you're, you're courting discomfort. And at the same time, I don't, yeah, see, I don't want to be the person who's like, well, art is supposed to make you uncomfortable. It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, you know, sometimes art makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. If it only makes you uncomfortable, then I would say people have a case, right? Right. Um, and well, so, if we'll put it this way. If it's also if it's only making you uncomfortable and there's no sort of point, you know, like, like a centillion, like, like an enlightenment that goes on at the end of it or something like that, maybe, you know, if, if it's just uncomfortable for uncomfortable sake, yeah. then you know, you're a god. Because because successful and unsuccessful movies that are very uncomfortable are birthed from the same place, which mm. is an attempt to sort of do something, right? I mean, we would assume, unless it's just a very bad filmmaker. But um, anyway, so um, there, there's Carnage. And then I, I think it's a great sort of modern update in terms of like the feeling you get from a film of the 1966, sorry, film that we're going to look at today, which is um, the adaptation of Edward Albee's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. In fact, I can't think of a film that, that matches it, maybe Carnage, but not even Carnage, in terms of being so masterfully uncomfortable. Yeah, long silence, but that's... Not in, uh, well, I'm, no, okay, so now you made me think, like, is that true? I Now, understand, the first time I saw this was the same day with, the, with that we, both of us, Watched, uh, watched. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Uh, Hotel Rwanda, and what was the other one? Uh, Requiem for a Dream. Requiem for a Dream, and those are all. Those are. Those are. They're in the same category and uncomfortable, but for very different reasons. Yeah, I would say very, very, very different reasons. Hotel Rwanda yeah, very, is, very, is a just a depressing just, movie. I can't think of anything that comes to mind except maybe Carnage. Yeah, because it's not just that it's a depressing movie. First of all, one of the things about Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is you're never exactly sure whose side you're on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the musical chairs in terms of the protagonist is, is swift and um, stealth, I would say, at times. 
Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it even tricks you in terms of, of your gender, ident- not gender identification in terms of who you are, but in terms I've of... I've been on that many times. Right. But, but, but in terms of like a natural per, um, tendency for men to sympathize with like a henpecked husband, for instance, in terms of that trope of movies or, or yeah. women to sort of feel like, well, that woman's not a bitch. She has, she's, she's carrying this weight. All, all legitimate experiences that we bring to movies. But this even fucks with that. Because because as soon as you think you've seen a victim, you know you're in trouble because that person isn't really a victim, right? Or at least co-ops their victimhood or something like that, right? Or 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 buys into their victimhood or adores their own victimhood. Too. There's that too, and 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 the fact that you think that you have these foils. We're not even talking about the film yet, but in 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 the um, in the persons of um, George Siegel and Sandy. Sandy Duncan, right? No, Sandy Duncan is the one-eyed, the glass-eyed lady uh, with the, with a Dorothy Hamill haircut. Um, Sandy Dennis. Dennis, okay. Duncan is the one from the uh, the the, go- the goose that laid the golden eggs, the Disney movies, and she had the, the one <laughs> sort of glass right. eye. Um, Sandy Dennis, that they appear to be the foils, like in other words, like the normal people who will sort of create this background, and it turns out even that's a trap door. Even they're yeah, they're fucked up too. They're just yeah. not as advanced as George Yeah, and so this is a this is a movie that obviously follows the play format. The play has four people in it. This movie technically has six people in it, if you count um, the cook and the waitress at a at a roadhouse. I mean, even in the play, you might say it has five characters, Tom. But let's not give. Let's not give too much away, Tommy. Oh, yeah. So it's um, you know, it's a setting as a some small town, maybe in the Midwest, New New Carthage, right? And it's a it's a college town, and mm-hmm. it's George and Martha, which is by the way such an obvious allegory that I never even sort of thought about it though, because I was so intrigued by the other parts of the movie. George mm-hmm. and Martha, um, he is um. In the history department, as opposed right. to being the history department, the distinction she's made oftentimes, and she is the daughter of the president of the college, who right. you get the sense that um, while, um, what the fuck is his name? Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Who's George? George um, the guy. Tom, you're, you're just staring at the screen. The co-star. <laughs> There's four people. There's four people. And I said the guy. And you're like, oh. Fuck at the guy, Richard. Um... Oh, Richard Burton. Oh, thanks, Tom. Uh... <laughs> oh my <laughs> god! Abraham Lincoln. Okay. Um, uh, and then Elizabeth Taylor. All right, all right, all right. Good. Um, um, he is. You have the feeling that he has been sort of given this job because I mean, he's he's smart. He's a witty guy. He knows what he's doing. But at the same time, it could have been given to someone else. But it was given to him because he chose the daughter of the yeah. president, right? To which he well, owes. Her, yeah, to which he owes her or him or both some sort of like un, you know uh, a bowing at the ankles, un, you know debt of gratitude. And we should start off by saying that she is a, a cunt. She's not the yeah. She's a little. She's a not the not the nicest lady. But at the same time, I think that's another trapdoor because that's that's the you want to go with that for about twenty minutes in the film, and it's sort of like she she opens up. You know, it's 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 Elizabeth Taylor. 
Um, this is a mere four years after, but no, I'm sorry, six years after Butterfield Eight. But it's like she she still maintains some of the sex appeal, but she is like chubby, bursting out of her corset, kind of slobby woman that she actually kind of became a few years after this film. Um, and you know, it's all about, um, eating a, um, a, a chicken leg, a cold chicken leg, and then putting the, the chicken leg on a saucer and in a drawer somewhere where it can be hidden, you know, um, scotch bottles everywhere, smoking while brushing her teeth, you know, go ahead. Well, well that being said, also, it, it pays to point out that George Burton is also like, he's Richard like, Burton. Scott just catching up with him for sure. Oh, but there, yes, no, but I'm just talking. They're both uh, clearly sort of alcoholic drinkers, right? But but the way they present themselves initially is that he is henpecked and yet yet maintains some power position because of his wit, because of his intelligence, and she is just a sort of like barges her way into dominance. So it's like he's, he sort of holds it like he has secret dominance because he knows that he's smarter than she, right? And so that's right. that's the sort of initial staging that we get because they, they come home from some faculty party. Um, they walk they home. Invited the new people along to have drinks and conversation. It's one of the slowest intros I've ever seen, by the way. It's about a minute of them just walking to the house. I tried to sl- show it to students who I, I think would rather um, watch uh, – um, um, a documentary about Mark Rothko paintings or something, um, and 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 so she she announces to to Richard Burton, thank you, <laughs> thanks, I, awesome. I finally got it out and it was that good. Um, um, she announces to Richard Burton that um, she's invited um, a new faculty member and his wife over. <clears throat> Am I correct? You are correct. He's in the math department, she says. And so he's rather put out by this, but it's like 11 o'clock, so let's have him over for a drink. And we get this whole sort of like uh, how uncomfortable it is because she's really bitchy, but she also, before they come over, she sets this whole scene about how like she wants a kiss. Give me a kiss. Give me a kiss, Georgie. And it's like, oh, I don't want to. You're like, Ugh. I hate the way you treat me, but I hate it even more that you love me. And now it's like, oh, you see a little bit inside his psyche, which is like, why are you here? Unless there's something we don't see, and there's something we don't see. Enter, sorry if I'm just doing the whole thing here, but enter Sandy Dennis and uh, George Siegel as not the math teacher, but actually a science teacher, biology teacher, and all kinds of dynamics are set loose in this film. Talk about some of them, Tommy. And no, I mean it's 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 fucking remarkable. It's such a remarkable thing, as you pointed out. Like it starts off, yeah, she's a bitch. Like that's oh, and you and you, and you can settle. You start settling into that as where this movie's going to go, and how this this brave this brave soul like defends himself against her soul crushingness, and then and then it and then it shifts. And it, 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 you never have a stable footing on this thing. Everyone's an asshole. Everyone loves being an asshole. Uh, and it's like, it's like, I don't know, it's like this weird, it's also like a weird acknowledgement that hatred is a relationship as well. And these people like almost hate each other, but you can't live without each other at the same time. Oh yeah. That's, that's clear right away. Is, is, is it's a- like, it's like a Sartre. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, like the, you know, the Sisyphus thing out of Sartre, you know, it's like very, uh, it's like, they, it's a, just not being able to live outside of this horrible context that they've created. Yeah. This I didn't I don't does Sartre make a, a a big reference to Sisyphus as a I'm sorry to go down that road but I'm just sort of curious I don't know anything about Sartre yeah he did, like it was one of his more famous essays of the concept and and the character like a recurring character in most of his books is that sort of that that 
person as a thing. It's, oh, okay. it's, it's the person who has a lifetime of activity, but they're never going to actually be satisfied with. You know? There's more to it than that. Right. Well, yeah. you're, you're curious about what they're what it is they're even driving toward in this sense. At least with Sisyphus, he, there's a hill and a rock. He has to get it up. But you're, at first, it's it's a kind of a mystery as to why what they're driving at in this movie. And and what's really great about the entrance of, of George Siegel and Sandy Dennis as the younger co- faculty couple is that all of a sudden there's a place at the table for the viewer like to, someone to sympathize with. Okay, well, yeah, let's take a look through our eyes. Like, what is going on here? Because George doesn't want them there. Martha wants them there, but it's very clear that Martha wants them there for kind of nefarious reasons. She wants to. An she wants an audience. She wants an audience. She wants to flirt with George Siegel, the new math instructor who turns out to be the biology instructor. Um, and, yeah, and 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 she, yeah, and she wants some sort of sympathy for the situation she's in because she's married to this guy who turned out to be kind of a nothing. A schlub, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so the the initial ratcheting up of, of of George's humiliation by her is sort of felt by us, but also we, we hate George in a way for for not like stopping the whole situation somehow. For putting up with a goddamn thing for his impotence, and and what what begins to sort of unravel. I'm sorry, what, what the first sort of thread at the real unraveling is that there's some sort of secret, somebody who shouldn't be mentioned and is mentioned, and there's a punishment for mentioning this person, and you realize all of a sudden, wait, there's a bit of a contract, and George is in on this contract. He's mm-hmm. he's not he's not the put-upon soul that you would believe. And even if he were, the way he puts, on, uh, puts upon other people yeah. is incredible. So all of a sudden, your sympathy shifts, shifts from George to fucking poor, I'm sorry, from George the character to George Siegel, the biology instructor. And and then, as if that's not enough tension, there's another tension created by the oblivious wife. Right. Honey Bunny, the, the Sandy Dennis, who's, who's just sort of like getting drunker as the evening goes on. And mm-hmm. as secrets are laid out to be revealed but not quite revealed, she's constantly accidentally picking under the scabs. And yeah. this, by the way, is act one. <laughs> all within the context of this house which is kind of like a cool house but also like in such disrepair um, as to mirror the disrepair of their lives how do we characterize this movie is this a horror movie uh, it's like in an existential sense it kind of is you mentioned in the in the main the non-patreon episode we did just a little while ago uh, when we were talking about the Mio Ferro film uh, whatever it's called, John and Mary. This whole this whole slew of films that you felt like maybe we've gotten away from, and it's this adult look at things. I don't want to say this right. is an adult look at things because if it were, that's a oh god. But at the same time, it, it does sort of like it does. I mean, look, we're all familiar at a certain age of the following scenario. I have to get out of this relationship, but I'll put in another two years rather than the 30 minutes of pain it will be to end it. (laughs) Everyone has had that relationship at least once where they're just like, oh my God, why am I in this? This is awful. And then you've worn your friends out even. They're like, you, we had sympathy a year ago. Why are you still, (laughs) you've driven us all crazy, right? And so it's like, given that that's, that's like part of the human condition and things like that, I think it is a, a realistic film, even if it's ratcheted up beyond the norm. Well, but, but, it's, even, but it's even weirder than that. If I, in fact, now that I think about it, it's more like it's a lot. It reminds me a lot of Lion in Winter. It's the, these are people who are 
they're, they're never going to escape their dis- death is the only escape from this dysfunction these people are ever going to find. Yeah, yeah. Because they're so invested in their dysfunction. That's that's the part that becomes agonizingly clear at the end of the movie. Is that like again, like I said, these people couldn't exist outside of this thing. This this has become a necessity. This has become like a vitamin they take every fucking day. Like this scene probably happens every night in their house. Yeah, uh, yeah, or close to it. But what you also realize is, is that, you know, I mentioned how, how the, the new couple, they're not really foils. What you begin to understand is they're the new generation. They're just the replacements. Yeah. Like they have everything in their life that could and may be this very thing. And that's why it's, there's such a brilliant shift. It might be my favorite American play. Um, when Edward Albee takes the shift in Act 2, where all of a sudden it's no longer just George and Martha who are airing their dirty laundry and, and almost exposing secrets. We get secrets and dark side from the new couple. And, and I don't want to say all that it is, but there's, there's a sort of um, uh, um, uh, Richard Burton draws out George Siegel's character in the yard as they're drinking, and he draws them out with a genuine story. It's not completely a trap, but I think one of the best fucking monologues and all of like 20th century playwriting where he talks about a boy who who ordered bergen um and he ordered bergen and as he ordered bergen instead of bourbon the restaurant laughed and and as they laughed he ordered more bergen and this whole sort of thing that happened to the boy which you realize is him and it's a, it's 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 one of the first truly vulnerable moments he has but of course that vulnerability he immediately sort of t- turns into a, a, a little bit of bait for George yeah, Siegel, yeah. Well, I don't. It's, what's great about it is you're not even sure he realizes that it's a trap at first. It's like he's realizing it as he's being vulnerable. Like right. this is a good piece guess, of meat. I guess it's almost a horror element of it, if you don't mind me saying. It's that uh-huh. it's that these people are not they're, they're they're acting horribly with motivations that maybe don't they don't even know themselves. Yeah, like it's, like it's just. Oh, that's such a remarkable movie. <laughs> it, it really is, and and so so then that that second scene is all about like um, trying to sort of like observe who can unravel the most. Here's where it kind of resembles Carnage, right? So it's like um, there's competition now because the old couple is they're masters at this horrible horrible game, but the new couple there's a freshness about them, like <laughs> like there's a, it's a new scab. So there's it's it's kind of interesting in a new way. And they, they haven't played the game before. So it's like, in a way, kind of also, you might say it reminds, uh, it's reminiscent of parts of Sleuth, too. You know, uh, uh, Lawrence Olivier's character. Well, just sort of like thinking what you, like the whole control over games playing, and, and but not really understanding, or maybe understanding too well. I'm not sure, like, what's behind all the games playing. Um, and then, and then so, so then it's like, it's like now driving toward uh, act three, which I'll just describe as like this, like the descent to madness that you would, th- you sort of put pin on any particular play that had a descent of madness to it. Um, and, and then exposition and the exposition is kind of remarkable. Like, like the exposition is not only like about the secret, but the bigger exposition is that what you said before, this is just something we do. That's it. That's, that's, that's almost the most horrifying part of it. Yeah. This, 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 you know, I, I used to be, I made chips and bottles, and then I was like, no, nah, I'm not doing that anymore. Let's do this. It's like, what the fuck can do? And, I, you know, it, this movie gets a lot of, it gets a lot of play off of the relations, like the marriage between Burton and Taylor and all like that. Yeah. But there is a certain magic that comes through that people who really know each other and they like, really kind of hate each other. They maybe before. have little fights, little versions of this fight before. Oh yeah, yeah. Like the like you, because 
anybody in a relationship has had a similar fight, don't you think? I imagine any worthwhile relationship, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not talking about like being addicted to it in the same way that George and Martha are. Yeah. But, but that's one of the strengths of this movie is that everybody's had this fucking fight. Everybody knows this. Like that thing where you're just tearing the other person, where it just becomes a matter of like hurting the other person. Which, but the difference being, it's so hopefully God help you. You don't do this every time, practically, or at least three times a week. You know, it's got to keep in shape. It's one of the only films, or maybe one of the earliest films I could think of, where the sweetness of the ending is also the terror of the ending. <laughs> yeah. In a way. Okay. Now this is yeah. Mike. This is Mike Nichols. It's Mike Nichols' first film. He went on the next year to do The Graduate, um, yeah. and 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 I would say this. I mean, you know, putting aside what your your favorite film is or films you love to watch, because I can understand not loving watching this film or why you yeah. wouldn't want to see it more than once. But in just yeah. in terms of strictly like um, master filmmaking, I think this is a better made film than The Graduate, even from Mike Nichols. Is it? Well, I mean, it's absolutely a better written. Yeah, for sure. Okay, I'll go with you on that. I mean, but again, I'm not altogether sure what, you know how much of that is the writing versus the actual directing. I'm going to say this is very effective to directing. But then again, I never thought Mike Nichols was a tremendous director. He's just a very competent director, I think. Hmm. This is definitely one of his better. This is definitely one of his better outings. Sounds sure. like we need to do a Mike Nichols episode, my friend. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I told the story before. I, I'm sure I have to you, but. Um, uh, at one point I had a girlfriend whose name was Martha and um, we had, we got tickets to see this play Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and the, all the seating was on the stage itself and Ooh. as a stage performance it's three hours so Ooh. for three hours we sat there on the stage while people threw scotch glasses around and said god damn you Martha and it was like, oh, God, just so exhausting. No fucking way. <laughs> a nightmare <laughs> watching that performance. I'd like to see the stage version of Requiem for a Dream first. Yeah, you have to have real um, uh, commitment to that arm thing, I guess. That, that's method acting. Oh, uh, fuck, dude. Wow, yeah. That, that's remarkable. I can't imagine that. I think this is a, a, a masterpiece of a film, too. I, oh, I really do. Yeah. This is one of those movies that, again, it's very hard to watch. For me, it falls into the apocalypse now category, and like I watch it every once a decade. Yeah. Once every five years. Because it kind of sucks your soul out for a little while, and you kind of you kind of got to regenerate from it. But God damn it, this is a no miss movie. Yeah. I'm in total. No it's, you, uh, I've never seen this movie. I maybe think about it. Yeah, it's draining for sure. And therefore, we recommend that anyone over the age of seven watch this movie. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, to know what mommy and daddy are, what. And if you're under seven, lie on the uh, little thing. What little thing is this? What what Orwellian little thing is this that you're imagining? The little thing that asks you your age or you're over 18 is going, yeah. Oh, on the YouTube thing or whatever. Got it, got it, got it, got it. All right. um, Great. Um, uh, Write to us on on film at gmail.com. Give us comments. Uh, Tommy has a new website up. Tommy? Take it away. Almost up. Yes, sir. Uh, TomSmithComedy.com. That should be. I'm hoping to have that up by the uh, by this weekend. Uh, and uh, yeah, come watch that so you can see uh, how many uh, gigs nobody has at this time. It's interesting. I, just as a side note, that you would finally because um, your website was down for a bit, a minute. That it's finally back up just in time for no announcements. <laughs> <laughs> 
It would not, it's actually not funny when you realize that I finally have money. So that don't. What? Uh, George, because uh, Donald Trump sent me sent me some money. No, 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 no. I wasn't going to ask for that. Why the great Donald Trump has sent you money? But rather, what kind of content could one look forward to on there? Do you have uh, videos of your performances, perhaps? I'm still uh, working on that. I'm still working on that. I have a bunch of ideas. You know. What about uh, a blog? Would you consider a blog, Tommy? Probably going to work on a blog. Might work on a vlog. A little blog, vlog, bloggy vlog, vlog. Thank you, Martha. All right. Um, thank you, Tommy. Love you. And um, see you soon. See you soon.